When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hi, everybody. This is the Cricket Badger podcast. Each badger marks the track with its own scent. His black legs are short but very powerful for digging. The name badger probably comes from the French word bécher, meaning digger. Hello, Cricket Badgers everywhere. Welcome along to another edition of the Cricket Badger Podcast. And how fantastic has it been to have Cricket back on our TVs, in our radios, and to talk about team selection and have all the debates that we used to having in an English summer. And we'll be talking and looking back to the England against West Indies Test Series in just a few moments' time. But before that, thank you very much to tvsportsblog.com for their support of the Cricket Badger Podcast. Please give them a follow on Twitter at tvsportsblog. And while you're at it, follow at cricket score badger as well but to help me look back at the england against west indies test series from a west indian perspective is toby Rowland, the former batting coach assistant coach with the west indies national side he set up the academy around about 10 years ago now half of the team that's playing for the west indies in england this summer graduated through that academy toby knows the majority of that current west indies side very well indeed former glamorgan coach as well and he joins me to have a look back over the last three weeks in england and to assess the at times brilliance and sometimes shortcomings of the West Indies side. I'll start off by asking Toby, how much did he enjoy the last three weeks watching the Test Series? It's that Badger style. Oh, mate, I really enjoyed it, um, especially the first Test. And then it sort of went so quickly downhill. And, you know, after such a good win in Southampton, I mean, just didn't... I didn't really envisage them losing the series from there. When you're 1-0 up in the first match, you know, you think at worst you might go home one all or something, but you don't envisage then losing it from there, do you? You know? Now, I mean, England have got a habit of losing the first test and bouncing back, but, you know, I guess the West Indies are aware of that. And that second test match, they... I mean, the first test match, they outplayed England, didn't they? In, in pretty much every single department, but England bounced back very quickly. 
They did. I mean, I, I think England probably got the toss wrong in Southampton, went and batted when they probably should have bowled. West Indies bowled really well, knocked them over cheaply, managed to get a bit of a lead. And then, it, you know, England never got back in the game, did they? And then they go turn up at Manchester, right? And where they win the toss and should bat, they win the toss and decide to bowl again. So you've now got tired bowlers going out on a, on what was a decent wicket at Old Trafford. England put on a, on a score. And then from then on in, they, the series just sort of kept going away from them, didn't it? And uh, they never got back in it. I quite like that W.G. Grace quote about batting first, where he said, when you win the toss, bat. If you're in doubt, think about it, then bat. If you have any, yeah. if you have very big doubts, consult a colleague and then bat. And generally speaking, it's the right thing to do, isn't it? Yeah, I think there were two things. I mean, I'm in touch with Jason a lot, but I, I talk more batting. I, I get the feeling that because they bowled them out in Southampton, they thought they could do the same in Old Trafford. Yeah. So despite it with it and the stats, all the stats base at, at, at Lancashire, you bat first, right? <laughs> Despite that, it was almost this feeling of, well, we've just bowled them out cheaply, we can do it again. And I think they fell into that trap rather than seeing, hang on a minute, it's a totally different surface. The results here are very different. Spin comes into it later. All of that stuff, they didn't take all that into account, I don't think. Um, and I just think they thought they would probably knock them over again. Uh, but it's difficult to do that with tired bowlers, with, you know, with a two-day, three-day turnaround, you know. Yeah. I've got the feeling as well, and I, I think this is completely understandable, that the bio-bubble kind of thing where they were penned into their, their hotel for two months, effectively, staring at the same four walls or, or two different sets of four walls with Southampton yeah. and Manchester. That, that's got to take its toll mentally and possibly physically as well. So it looked like they ran out of steam a little bit towards the end of the series. Yesterday, it just didn't look like there was a lot of fight left today. It. it looked like they were on the ropes and sort of almost falling out of the ring. They just, there was nothing left, was there? You think of the energy they came with to that first test match everyone fit raring to go black lives matter all of that stuff there was this kind of real energy with them mm. and but what's interesting look i've worked with them for seven or eight years I and mean, i know them well they're, they're quick to get up but they're quick to get down it doesn't take a lot to demoralize them and it was almost when they lost those few wickets in the the back end of the second uh, i think it was the second in the first thing the second innings in the second test match from then on in it was almost like we've had a really bad afternoon we've then lost that test match it was like they didn't expect to win. They kind of go, they don't feel sorry for themselves, but they almost lose that bit of fight again. And suddenly they look, at, like, they give you the sense that they feel inferior and they're the weaker team, but they shouldn't feel like that. I mean, two weeks ago, they bloody beat England, as you say, justifiably. They yeah. really outperformed them. But they're very quick when something doesn't quite go right to almost, not not implode is the wrong thing, but it seems like a there's no deep-rooted belief. Do you know what I mean? I mean, it's the same in, in all world cricket. People find it hard to win away from home, don't they? But the West Indies, I saw a stat yeah. during that third test match of uh, since that Headingley win, 2017, they, that was their fourth win away from home against the top eight ranked side. You know, yeah. they, they don't fare well away from the Caribbean, do they? No, they don't. I mean, I went on tour with them to New Zealand and we had a torrid time. I mean, really tough time. Couldn't win any game of any format. I don't think we won a game the whole tour. And you could just sense. And, and the back end of the trip, I mean, people weren't switched on. They'd almost given up. Some of them were, you know, mentally were on the plane home. And you just think, well, <laughs> it's hard when it gets like that to turn it around. I mean, I've been there when it's like. It's very different. No matter what you do, you know, if they've lost confidence in their own game, if they've lost belief, it's very hard. And Although I'm obviously not with the team now, and I, you know, I was just watching everything on this tour, there were bits in the last week where I was starting to sense that feeling that I, that I had with them in New Zealand. You could just almost imagine it being there, where 
one or two that their head is on the plane, as you said, they've been, you know, sort of in that confines for, for a long period. And you just sense that there was a, you know, that, that, that the fight had gone, that they, they'd fought their fight. Do you know what I mean? How long did you live out there for? Well, I lived out there. I went out there initially, set up the High Performance Centre with Jason and Shannon, a lot of these lads, Dowrich. Uh, and I was out there for about two years. So I lived in Barbados. It would have been early 2010, 2011. And then I came back, did some stuff here. And then Otis Gibson took over and he sort of rang me up. He said, look, a lot of your lads that you've worked with are coming into the team. Do you want to come back and sort of be my assistant, work with the batters? Uh, and it was the likes of Kieran Powell, Jason, some of these boys coming into the side. And it, it, whenever I worked with them after that, I was always based in the UK and would then go out there for tours or go away with them. I was actually living in the UK. Uh, so my only time living there was when I ran the High Performance Centre. But it's that was great. Yeah, it's a wonderful place. I love Barbados. Uh, w- one of the things yeah. that I, I've, I've picked up kind of looking at some forums and things. It's something you kind of hinted at there with the team that, you know, when they're up, they're up, when they're down, they're down. The, the fans are a bit like that as well, aren't they? they yeah. You know, they're very inclined yeah. to kind of jump on a side as soon as one thing goes wrong. Yeah, and I, I did a, funny enough, I did a, um, I did a, a radio phone in last night, the big show, the Mason show, Mason and Guest, it's called in Barbados. It's a big cricket show. I, I went on that I when, I went out to, uh, when, when I went out oh, with Yorkshire. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. Well, I, I thought I'd be on there 20 minutes last night. I was on two and a half hours. I went to bed half past one, right? And the the thing is, I've got to be so careful, and I'm always trying to be careful because I, I'm still mates with the players. I still work with Blackwood. I work with Jason. There's certain players that you know I'm very close to, and you're trying to be constructive. You're trying to be honest, but you don't want to be overly critical. You don't want to be seen to them as if you're playing the turncoat. So you know, you're trying to pitch it absolutely right, and that's not always easy on these. You know, when you're doing those interviews, because yeah. you want to be forthright and honest as well you know so just trying to pitch the answers for, for two and a half hours I was knackered by the end of that but it was quite good actually I did you know try my best to be as, as fair and as honest as I could for it to everyone you know when I went on that show it was um Carlisle Bess was the uh the co-host and he's a, an absolute chatterbox I think I was sat there for about 40 minutes before I got a word in edgeways it was hilarious yeah he's still he's still involved I think isn't he, he coaches one or two players as well uh, and always very outspoken. I remember when I ran the academy, he was always sort of, you know, I had something to say or wanted to come and have a meeting about something. Like, yeah, he's, he's keen as mustard, isn't he? Mad as, a, mad as a box of frogs, I think. I, th- I think that's a fair assessment. Yeah, but a very lo- lovable character as well. But the, I, I've just read a, read a piece on the uh, Crick Info site, which is really scathing of the batsmen in the third test match. They... It basically says the last two test matches they they had to bat time and effectively nobody showed the resolve that you know there was um, no, no fight on show really from the West Indies side. How did you see that? Um, it's, do you know what? Sometimes when teams get knocked over, it's easy for people to say it's a lack of fight, lack of effort. I don't always see it that way. I think there was an element of one or two probably mentally being a bit punch drunk in terms of, you know, perhaps they were just at a stage where they didn't have anything left to give, do you know what I mean? Mm. Rather than them not trying, which is a big difference. My whole thing here is, until Stuart, when Stuart Broad came into that team, he's the one bowler that caused all the problems, really. They didn't have a problem with Archer. They didn't have a problem with Wood um, or, or Curran, really. It was Broad from wide of the crease, angling the ball in and then nipping it back off the seam. And they were either getting stuck on the crease or they're falling across the ball and you just get LBW, LBW, LBW. And it was the way he bowled. I think from my point of view, having, certainly having lost the second test right with him bowling that well, I, I would have liked to see them come back to the third test having worked on a plan of how they were going to play it. 
Now, I know when I was there in 2017, in fact, the day before we won the test match at Headingley, when Shea Hope got the 200 and Craig Brathwaite got the 100 and the 90, and it was a hell of a good game. And it had rained the day before in Leeds, and we were forced indoors on the machine. I set two machines up, right? I set one up as a James Anderson, you know, 85 mile an hour, in tight, bigger way swing as late. And then I set up what I called the broad machine, which was wider, angling in his kind of length, 85, his sort of pace, and then with sharp in-swing on it to create the type of line that he bowls and the type of shape back in at the stumps, right? And I made all the batters face it for two hours. I just went through it. Now, as I said then, it doesn't guarantee you success, but it gives you a good chance. And what I was hoping for here was when Broad has gone and done the same damage in the second test, I was hoping that the guys would have gone and worked on something like that to give themselves the best chance of playing broad because I think if we could have kept him out I think you'd, you'd have seen a different uh, you may have seen a different scoreline over the over the course of the whole series The Cricket Badger Podcast is brought to you in association with tvsportsblog.com excellent sporting content it's well worth a look and give them a follow on Twitter at tvsportsblog Shamrock Brooks, yeah. I, I really enjoyed watching him bat. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you, you you know him. He's 31 now, but he, he looked a, a really quality player. He played straight, had a very good defence, very well organised, but it's, it's taken him a while to crack it, hasn't it? He was the captain on the academy team that we had. So when we set up the HP team in uh, back in 2010, he was captain of that. So he was captain when Jason was on it, ironically, uh, and Darryton, etc. So... Uh, always a good player, mate. Was very risky, a uh, lot of time, quite an elegant player, as you see. I think what happened was one or two of the others sort of jumped ahead of him mm. uh, in the pecking order. Kieran Powell was ahead of him and he had quite a few test matches and had a good go. There's quite a few other players got a gig first and he's had to go away to Barbados and score his runs in domestic cricket and really wait his time. I mean, he's had to be patient, as you say, and uh, I'm delighted, really. Wait the runs eventually for in regional cricket out there has got him in. And when he's come in, he's looked apart. I thought he looked really good. A couple of good scores. What no one did on this tour, no one got the 16 and 17 and went on. They didn't get hundreds. They didn't get 150 to make a huge difference. So, you know, Blackwood 95, I think, was the top score. And then you had the chase at a century yard. Lots of 50s, 60s, 70s. And then either through a poor shot selection or a technical fault sort of suddenly getting exposed by a good ball, you know, one of those two things was suddenly knocking someone over. Uh, the other thing that I think England did well, and certainly did it well in that second test, was the minute that Blackwood and Brooks were getting a partnership together, Stokes goes around the wicket, they get aggressive, they put a man-catching bat pad, man-catching on the 45, two men back. They they make something happen. You know, they just sort of, they shook the West Indies up and they, they suddenly they, they produce a wicket from it. So I think there were things that England did well like that. And I think from a West Indies point of view, Lots of guys did get scores, they just didn't go on. And I think that's the challenge now, is to turn those, you know, 40s and 50s into proper, you know, match-defining scores. And I guess that's experience, isn't it? And you'd, you'd hope that the, the West Indies lads will go home, they'll think about it. I mean, we don't know when the next series is going to be yet, but it's all about learning from these kind of things, isn't it? And, and getting better as a result of that. Yeah, bigger belief confidence in what they can do. I mean, I've kept telling people that up until this match, this last um, test match this week, 
you know, out of the last eight before that, it was four all between England and West Indies. So yeah. when people are you know, trying to knock West Indies, lack of talent, lack of ability, blah, 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 I don't buy it at all because I say, well, hang on a minute, look at the last eight test matches. It's four each. That You don't win four test matches against England by luck. <laughs> you know, they, they don't, you don't just fought those battles don't fall over and you don't just, you know, someone's out to go and score those runs. So, you know, there clearly is ability there. What, what has been lacking, I think, and continues to lack at the moment is consistency, consistency, backing up good performance. They come in with a great performance at Southampton and then suddenly through either decision making, you know, did they pick the right side at, 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 at Lancashire? Did they do the right thing at the toss at Lancashire? Very interesting. A um, couple of key things for me for the whole series were the way that England rotated eight seam bowlers and mm. kept them fresh, um, either through sort of, you know, choice or whatever they, you know they, they were always resting for a week and coming back in fresh whereas the West Indies you know had fresh bowlers for the first test match knock England over then suddenly now they get two or three days to turn around the same bowlers go out on the park again they bowl first again so they, they haven't even got time to rest and then you know and suddenly the third test match almost to get identical again for whatever reason there was a reluctance to try some of their backup seamers and they've actually got a couple of good ones uh, Shamar Holder has done really well in domestic cricket. Looks like a very good, exciting young bowler. You know, there were a couple of bowlers there potentially they could have used. I think if they'd had the confidence to give them a go, um, but they didn't want to do that. And I think in the end, that took its toll in the field because you know Shannon was coming off a long-term injury. Rochi was suddenly starting to get tired. Jason himself bowled a lot of overs. And when you look at the number of overs now bowled across the two teams, most of the English seamers have bowled fifty odd overs, and all the the West Indies seamers are into the 110s, 120s. It's a lot of overs, isn't it? Yeah. You know, it's tough. Uh, and I think that was a major thing for me. That, you know, the, the, the rotation of bowlers or lack of bowlers. Decisions at the toss, I think, on game two and three, because I think that first at Lancashire on that wicket. And, and you know, I think, that, I think they're really the, the key band clearly broad and how they went about playing broad. I think that was the, they, they would be my three defining factors. Jermaine Blackwood, who, I have to be honest, I watched him in his first innings of the series. He was all over the shop, and I was looking at him, he looked like somebody that had bought, won a, won a raffle to play for the West Indies. But he he, yeah. he learned from that, didn't he? And one of the positives, I guess, from, from that was that he, he came back in, played a much better knock in the second dig, and, and seemed to kind of grow as a result of uh, maybe failing the first time around. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think for him, it's about calming. Is that you know he he can get carried away and when he gets a bit anxious. It's almost like the engine's running too fast and every ball's a half volley and every ball's a full shot. You know, and I think it's just controlling himself when his beans are bubbling a little bit. And I've done quite a bit of work with him even recently. He was sending his footage over from Jamaica and then I was sort of analysing it, having conversations with him. So we've been doing some work over the last few months. It's been great actually to you know work with him again and uh, and then to sort of to see it through. And the big thing we talked about, as well as the technical stuff, the sort of his balance and his setup was was really about that. It was trying to control uh, the situation, calm himself down, play ball on merit rather than looking for, you know, always looking to create some kind of uh, an attacking shot, you know. A couple of the players that maybe didn't do quite so well, um, start with John Campbell, who ended up with an average of 16.8, maybe got a little bit unlucky because every nick he, he seemed to have went to hand, but... He looks somebody that's under threat in that side at the moment. Yeah, I think, look, he's, he, he can play, he gets his runs in domestic cricket. Yeah, I, I think playing out in the Caribbean, clearly, you know, the pitches, they don't have this lateral movement. And, and 
it's why so many top, top players come here. I mean, Virat Kohli comes here, struggles. You know, some of the world's best have been here before and struggled. Some of the top Australians struggle. It's that lateral movement, isn't it? And someone like a, a broad who bowls a beautiful length, a good enough pace, but gets good, sharp, late movement. It, it's what they, they're not used to it back home. And uh, I, I, I doubt that, you know, that, that, that um, John would have faced anything quite like that in domestic cricket. I wouldn't get that. That, that late movement so you know it, you haven't got a lot of time to adjust you're only here for a few weeks leading into a series and then suddenly you're up against world-class bowlers who are great exponents on their own patch um so it's, it's come as a test to him saying that i mean you know knowing how well he can play i'm, I'm sure he can go back to the caribbean and get scores against the same attack on his pitches do you know what i mean where you don't get that late movement so he, he for whatever reason wasn't able to make the adjustment here at this time you know, if he can stay in the side, if he can get his scores, hopefully he can come back further down the line and, uh, you know, maybe make one or two adjustments to, to help him over here. One of the things the West Indies didn't have this time was a couple of games against counties as well, wasn't it? Against English bowlers bowling in English conditions. Because, you know, you, you bring across your bowling attack and with the best weather in the world, they haven't got too much experience of bowling in English conditions. So you don't actually face that top quality English bowling until the first test match. No, I, I agree. And, um, you know, I mean, watching, watching both Broad and Wokes, the way they use the crease, right, and they set you up, they bowl from it, the inner third of the crease, away, away, and then they get gradually wider. And then they seem to, both of them have this ball that sort of angles in, but it goes in so sharply that you can almost, when you go frame by frame through some of the dismissals, you know, the batter's head is quite well balanced. The ball's halfway down, they're still quite well balanced. And suddenly the ball just veers in. And it throws them off completely and suddenly you're outside the line of the ball playing across the ball. And it, it's a real challenge for, for a batter, especially a batter from abroad, to, to you know, hold their position for so long and track the ball without committing to it for that long, knowing that it could deviate at the last second. And, you know, really, you only learn that if you're brought up here or you spend a good period of time getting used to it. So, you know, it's why so many batters do struggle when they come here, you know. You've mentioned him a couple of times already, but Shane Darich, who is uh, obviously the keeper batsman, had a horrible second test match with the bat, but looked okay actually for the rest of it. Maybe against the short ball one yeah. evening in the third test, he struggled yeah. a little bit. But as a key, yeah. as a keeper, and this is very much me as an amateur coach, I looked at him keeping, and I thought, you know, you see, you see the very best keepers, and they have their the gloves close together spread out yeah. so they make a big target and then they collect the ball in and, and, and have some give in the hands he looked like yeah. he was keeping with a couple of symbols and he was kind of clapping onto the ball and that, yeah. might, that might work when the ball's coming through straight but when it was there was yeah. so much movement after it had passed the bat in England that that was yeah. when his technique was maybe found out a little bit yeah, I mean, I, I think, look, the wobble here, again, I, I think he had a period where one or two were sort of, you know, as you say, in the end of the fingers and couldn't get them cleanly. And then and then confidence went downhill. And the same happened with the batting. He got bumped a couple of times and then lost a bit of confidence with the short ball. What I loved about him was the way the way he did come back. Mm. It, was a, it was a difficult second test. He actually, he gave me a call and he sent me some footage. He said, you know, I need of him in the nets up in Lancashire after the second test and said, you know, can you have a look at this, see what you think, and I had a bit of a chat with him and whatever. And I just said, you've got to commit. You have to be. It doesn't matter if you get four bumpers in and over. You've got to be prepared that the fifth ball is going to be the full one. They're going to try and get you trapped on the creek. You've got to be prepared to keep going forward. Look to go forward and be pushed back. You can't think back, otherwise you're going to get done on the front foot every time. So it's that mindset of, even though they're going to keep pushing me back, I'm not going to let them. I'm going to keep coming at them, keep coming at them. And, um, you know, it, it, that's a, a, it's a state of mind, isn't it? It's a state of mind. It's a confidence, a fearlessness. 
I'm going to get forward regardless of whatever you've thrown at me before. Because the fast bowler, the short ball, isn't often the ball that gets you. It's the one that pushes you back for the for the fuller one, isn't it? As we know and as we've seen. So um, you've got to keep fighting that by keep looking to try to get back into that, you know, that good length ball. Fed up of collecting your team's match day subs? Worried about carrying cash post-COVID-19? Try slateapp.co.uk. Less contact than contactless. Slate, the smartest way to collect weekly match fees and more. Download the app, slateapp.co.uk. Not just for cricket, any clubs that collect subs. It just makes sense. Stick it on the slate. Slateapp.co.uk. You obviously know Jason Holder um, pretty well. Yeah. From somebody that's never met him, he strikes me as an incredibly mature young man, a real credit to his nation and a, a, a terrific sort of leader of that side. And he comes across brilliantly. When you see him interviewed, he, he's terrific, isn't he, with his words he chooses, the Black Lives Matter thing at the start of the tour as well. Is he like that away from the picture? Is that just a, the facade that he gives off? He gives off? No, he's 100% like that. I mean, you know, I class Jason as a friend, really. I mean, he's a very good mate of mine. Uh, I met him on the academy as a 19-year-old. I've known him probably 10 years now. Uh, and he's always been the same. I mean, he's a genuinely, genuinely nice guy on and off the field. Very competitive, but uh, humble, you know, down to earth, interested in people. He's a people person. And I often give the story, and it's a true story, about a tour that we did with the HPC to, um, to Dubai, to the UAE, a number of years ago now. And we took the academy team, the West Indies academy team. We played against the UAE men's team and the Afghanistan men's team. And it was a good tour, really good tour, good learning tour. Boys played well. And I remember at the end of the tour, and he wasn't captain because I think Brooks was captain. But Jason was kind of, had a, you know, he had, he had something about him. And I remember at the end of the tour, sitting in the dressing room before we got the flight home. And he went around all the players in the dressing room and he sort of said, you know, well played, really good tour. And they went to another one. Look, didn't quite get the runs you'd hope for. But, but. And he just spoke <laughs> so maturely for a lad of 19. I remember walking away thinking, of course, you know, that guy's got to be a future captain. He's just got leadership qualities. And uh, he's, that is what you see is exactly what he's like. He's a, he's a very humble, down-to-earth, professional top guy. Yeah, so, you know, can't, can't speak highly enough of him. Really. Has Sean and Gabriel got self-healing Qualities because he seemed at some stages during you know early stages of some of the test matches to be I described him a bit like the Tin Man from the Wizard of Oz. He looked as if he was as stiff as a plank, but yeah. and then he'd come back and he'd bowl an incredible spell. You know, it was, it was a very strange series from him, but a really impressive one. Yeah, he's um, look, he's he's great. I mean, he runs for a brick wall for you. He is stiff. He does stiffen up quickly, and as you say, you can, one minute he can be like that, but. It doesn't take a lot and a good rub down from the physio and the masseur and then he'll find his way back again. I mean, I was really worried on the morning of this third game when he sort of bowled a couple of overs and then limped off. And I thought, God, they've only got three seamers to start with. They can't end with two for five days. But he managed to come back and he bowled well. Look, I think he was running on empty. I mean, I I think Mm. he got the best of him in the first test. He's he's not long had an op, I think, and he's been out for a while. But, you know, they clearly, they know the value of him to the side. He is a match winner. He's capable of knocking over top players. Uh, He's knocked Stokes over a couple of times in in recent tours. Uh, So I think they would have wanted to play him at all costs. It almost got to the stage though when you get into the third game you think actually look as, as much as he may want to play and we may want to play him you know potentially here you need to give him a break and put somebody fresh in you know Rakim Cornwall seems to just get attention because of his size I was actually really impressed with how he bowled he didn't take a wicket at Old Trafford and I thought he was unlucky not to and he can obviously hold yeah. a bat as well I I, yeah. I would imagine that somebody that is as big as Rakim Cornwall has probably had to probably jump through more hoops than the most to 
show the people that pick teams and show the people that are making the decisions that he's actually worthwhile. Yeah, and they look, I think the West Indies board have invested quite a bit in him. I mean, look, he's still a very big lad now, but they've actually sent him to a boot camp in America. Uh, you know, they have put money into his fitness. He just, he can't lose any more weight than he has already. That is his size. And they, you know, they've done everything with his diet, his fitness. Um, and as I say, they, they, they spent a fair bit of money on him doing that. Uh, he's a quality bowler. He really is a good bowler. I mean, what was difficult for him going in two off spinners on this last match and bowling first, you know, so he's mm. not bowling on a pitch where you can really get the, the turn. So, you know, his job really in the first innings is that he's a holding job, isn't it? And to make sure the run rate doesn't run away. But it was difficult for him. I think it's a, a hard situation to go in. You know, potentially the team really needed four seamers and just one spinner. I think Roston had bowled particularly well. Actually, all, all series did a good job with the ball, Roston Chase. Um, so whether they needed two off spinners, um, and then ball and then ball first was uh, you know probably questionable. I would have thought. The last um, question about an individual player, Kemar Roach doesn't quite get the credit that he deserves as a bowler because he's got pretty much everything in his armoury. Um, Thirty-two years old now, just gone past two hundred Test match wickets, and unlucky early on in the series not to take more wickets, but uh, bounced back and he he looked really good, and it was nice to see him go past the two hundred. Yeah, brilliant. And, you know, he's, he's had a long career. I mean, he was genuinely quick when he started. He was up around 90 mile an hour, was, was quick. Uh, as, he's, as he's got old, he's obviously lost a bit of pace. But what he's gained then is his control and movement. And I think in the last two or three years in particular, you know, his ability around the wicket to the left-handers. Um, I mean, he caused a lot of problems for Burns last winter in the Caribbean. He knocked over Alistair Cook a few times here last time. Uh, you know, world-class left-handers struggle just because he's able to angle it in. And then at the last minute, you know, a bit like when Broad is bowling well to the lefties, you know, round the wicket, angle it in and then just get that late shape to nick you off behind the wicket. Yeah. Uh, he's been exceptional at that. You know, quality bowler. And some right-handers are so used to facing uh, the away swinger that when the ball comes back in, he causes problems for those rights, as we've seen with, you know, what Broad has done to the West Indies batters on this tour. Uh, you know, batters are so used to the away swinger that the ball that comes back in, so, so he clearly picks up, um, you know, wickets to the right-handers with the, with the one that nips back in as well off the seam. So quality bowler, mate, has kept going really well, has managed to stay fit. I think he's had one or two long-term injuries during his career, but generally he's been pretty good. And, um, you know, he's a, he's a thinking bowler now, and he just keeps hitting his length with enough movement enough shape to um, you know to keep testing players frivolous question they all seem to have massive gold chains around the necks does that help balance <laughs> no if anything I used to say to him actually it slows his run up down <laughs> it's a big chance between him and Roston I don't know if there's a chain off there he's winning that one there's a way to goal there but, uh, no, look, these are great lads and uh, lads that I spent a lot of time with uh, as fondly you know I really enjoyed it travelling around the world with them working with them some of them are the same known 10 years and, and, and classes mate some of them I'm still doing bits of work with so no I've got a very close affinity with the team you know I, I was hoping after that first game that you know that they could either retain the cup or win the win the series outright but it it just wasn't to be and uh, for whatever reason after that second game halfway through it just it seemed to, to, to slide down the slippery slope quite quickly didn't it but, uh, lots of good stuff a lot of good performances and I think they've still got to be positive about what they what they take away from here both individually and uh, collectively as a team after having worked so closely with with, with most of them and and knowing them well you know watching from a distance and yeah, it must be quite difficult to kind of watch some of them fail, but you must be really pleased to see some success. Yeah, I, I was disappointed. Do you know what? I was itching to get on my tracksuit and get on the car and get up there because I kind of felt, certainly with the broad thing, I thought, God, you know, I've seen this before, we've worked on this. 
I know what I want to do here. I would love to set that machine up and just spend an hour or a couple of hours with them. It doesn't guarantee that they're going to suddenly go out and play Stuart Broad without any problems. But you know that there are drills you could do that, that could help them. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I don't know whether they did them. I don't know what they did in between. I mean, clearly, as I said, I spoke to one or two about their own sort of game. Um, but I, I, it, it's difficult when you're sort of talking to them. You don't want to get too involved in what's going on. You don't work there anymore. You've got to let the people who are there get on and do their job. But I was watching and thinking, I'd love just a couple of hours because I think I've got something here that could at least try and help them with this one bowler who is causing misery on this tour. And yeah. he's, he's the one guy that made, made all the difference. I mean, he made all the difference, didn't he, Broad? You know, so you've got a hats off to him, quality bowler. He gets such late movement. It's, as I say, it's fascinating. You know, if, if you slow down frame by frame some of those LBWs, right, the ball has left his hand. It's halfway down the wicket, and it's still on a path. And they then get sucked into going to that path. And then at the very, you know, second half of its flight, it then veers in sharply, either in the air or off the pitch. And, and, and coupled with that late movement in, right, is the number of batters who, for whatever reason, seem to misjudge his length. So they seem to think the ball is shorter than it is. They start to go back and then realize it's actually fuller. And they can't, by the time they've realized it's skidded, it's hit them on the pad and they're gone. Now, I, I, at some point, I will chat to Jason and maybe Craig Grathwaite or speak to him a bit. And, and say, so is there a reason why so many seem to misjudge the length off broad? Is it his height? Is it the way he delivers that makes them think the ball is shorter than it actually is? Do, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. What's, what's, the health, what's the health of West Indian cricket at the moment? I mean, the world seems to be a happier place when West Indies are winning matches. You know, hopefully not too many matches. Not We don't want to go back to the 5-0 um, wins that they always used to have when Viv Richards and, and the like were around. It seems to be a little bit politically better. It seems to be a little bit better run at the moment and seems to be heading in the right direction. Yeah, I think, look, you're always going to get politics between the islands, um, you know, and, and at, at some point you're going to have, um, you know, you might have a Jamaican president who's, who pushes certain players and now you've got Antigua now uh, sort of heading in up. You've got an Antiguan president. Sometimes you're going to get a few more Antiguan players. And it's the way it tends to work, you know, where certain islands will, you know, get, get preference over others and, and the other islands will say, oh, you know, our player's not getting in, he should be in. But so I think you're always going to get an element of that. You know, what you what you ideally want is the best 11 on the field that's possible to get there. Isn't always the case because, you know, some clearly only want to play franchise cricket and don't want to play test cricket. Uh, and as I say, sometimes selectors overlook certain players that others will feel, you know, might be getting a nod. Saying all of that, I still think there's a lot of quality there. You know, I think there's a lot of natural, youthful talent. What I'd like to see is they get an academy up and running again. I mean, the academy that we ran 10 years ago clearly has worked and the players say it's worked and half of half of the team that was taking the field on this tour all went through that academy and I think that's great you know and um, you know it was a kind of a finishing ground for talented young players I think if you can get half of those into play test cricket you, you've done all right you know so I'd love to see that put together again and um, and start to find the next Jason Holder and the next Shannon Gabriel because they are there the raw talent is there I think what West Indies cricket needs is a bit of investment in good quality facilities, you know, some bowling machines, some indoor schools, because although it's Caribbean, there is a lot of rain at certain times of the year and not all the islands have an indoor school. But, so I think somewhere where those players can go in and work on their game to help as I say, develop the, you know, the next batch of, of top-class young players. So I'd just like to see a, a bit of investment in those like pitches, quality of nets, indoor net services and some bowling machines. Uh, I made the point on an interview I did the other day that, you know, when I was batting coach for the team, there was times where 
I couldn't get hold of a bowling machine to work with the international players. And I'd come back to England and walk into a public school. I might be in a session over here. And I see it five lanes, four bowling machines, a Merlin. And you think, you know what? This is a school team that's got these facilities here. And I can't get hold of a bowling machine to work with, you know, Jason Holder or, or Craig Grafley, you know. So it, it gives you the idea of the lack of investment there and how, how well those they do as a nation despite not having those facilities. Imagine how well they could do if they had the same kind of the same kind of investment, the same kind of facilities. I, I saw a despairing West Indies fan the other day saying, the world's dry. We can't, we can't go back to the world because the world's dry. But from what you've just said there, it's not. No, I, I, absolutely no doubt. And I think, the, I think the, the basic young player, the basic young West Indian athlete is, is a fantastic athlete, fit, fast, live good hand-eye coordination they've got those and and all they need right they need some structure quality coaching and they need facilities you need a good net to practice on you need a bowling machine to feed those balls at you they haven't always got that you know and i would turn up at certain parts of the caribbean and there would be a bowling machine someone say oh there is a bowling machine and when you get there you know that the head was on one side of the room you know, there were there were only two tripod legs. The battery yeah. didn't work. They haven't really got you know state of the art thing in the same way that England have, India have, Australia have, uh, and yet on the same you know in the same breath they are competing with those countries. And when they have to go and play against England, no one is then talking about you know the investment that England English cricket would have um, compared with West Indies cricket. So I think we're at this stage now where to really compete, West Indies do need to find a way to sort of get them get some extra investment into those areas. One final question, Toby, and really appreciate you coming on today. The legendary team of the 80s, the Richards, the Lloyds, the Marshalls, the Holdings, etc., etc., etc. How much of that is an inspiration and how much of that is a, a, a cross to bear for the current side? I think it was a period, um, going back a number of years, where some of those players may have been heavily critical of what were then the current players. Uh, you know, saying, oh, in our day we did this. And I don't sense that as much anymore. And I think, if anything, I think the... The players that do get involved now, the Courtney Walsh, what a fantastic bloke. I think Desmond Haynes. There are players who chat to these guys and they're all much more positive now. I think there was a period where one or two, and I wouldn't name them, but there were one or two who were quite critical. Um, and that was difficult for these young guys who were trying to make it on their own and make their own way in the game. Uh, but I sense now that the experience, you know, that those you know, big players, I mean, Laris, very helpful. I think when they do get involved, they're generally encouraging and positive. So I don't... I don't see it as a hindrance at all now. I think it's much more in a positive light and, um, you know, for the good of the game and for the good of these players and their development. Do you think part of that is that the, um, some of the older players from that generation, the 80s generation, that I've spoken to in the past have said that they haven't been involved, they haven't asked to, they haven't been asked to be involved and they think they've got something to offer. So maybe there's a little bit of resentment which has led to that criticism because they feel a bit kind of thrown out of the loop. Possibly, possibly. And I think I, I, the problem is, you know they can't they can't all get jobs. You know there's quite a lot of ex top quality players yeah. in the Western, yeah. and some yeah. for the media. You know Dujon's in the media, very good. Ian Bishop obviously in the media is excellent. It, it, but, but there's not jobs for everyone, whether it's in coaching or media. There may be one or two don't get a job, and then they're a little bit disgruntled, a bit negative, and then they tend to then sort of say something in a newspaper or whatever, which which isn't even constructive. And I think players then would get upset about that. You know the players, the players that, that I've always worked with. They've been happy to take constructive criticism from, from from some of these former players, and they would chat with them. And some of them have very good relationships with them. I mean, I know Shea Hope always used to chat to Dujon on the morning of a game, and had he seen anything, watch it, all that type of stuff. So I think there are some real positives. Um, I think it's important that those, those old players, uh, that, you know, they add on their great. Experience 
experience and, and do it in a positive way to you know for the good of those players and for the for the team generally. You just mentioned him there, Shay Hope. I've, I've, I forgot to mention him when we were talking about the individual players. He's a player that uh, has obviously got all the shots in the world, but he's struggling, isn't he, at the moment? Yeah, I think he's. I think with red ball cricket, he's he's just kind of lost a bit of confidence, lost his way a little bit. White ball has, has really taken off. I mean, he's one of the leading scorers in white ball cricket I think in the last couple of years but it was interesting after the 200 he scored at Headingley back in 2017 we then went to New Zealand and they bowled a lot of short stuff quite aggressive at in Wagner bolt from then on in it was a bit of a pattern whenever wherever we played red ball cricket he didn't get a lot up you know people didn't want to see his nice cover drive and his nice clip through mid wicket and they bombed him a little bit and I think it sort of settled in um and then from then on in, he started trying to stay a bit more leg side. He started tinkering around with his game. It coincided as well. Standing a bit more leg side coincided with what he was doing in white ball cricket, where clearly you don't get the same amount of bumpers. You haven't got the slips in the gullies. And he was finding, you know, lots of free scoring shots through the offside. So that was working for him in white ball cricket. But the standing leg side wasn't working for him with the red ball. In this tour, he's gone back to what he was doing a couple of years ago, which was standing on off stump, getting out of the crease. But he just, you know, even when he got going and looked good on something, he still found a way to get out. And sometimes that can be it when you're, you know, things aren't happening for you. Um, I thought yesterday he was starting to look as, as good as he looked all tour and then, you know, tried to play a pulled shot from a length ball, to be honest, and knocked one up in the air. But yeah, up until then, I thought actually, you know, coming back to a bit of form, looking a bit more uh, a bit more natural at the crease and a bit more sort of fluent. You keep saying things that make me want to ask you another question. The West Indians, I mean, it's strange to me that you you kind of associate the West Indies with a battery of fast bowlers and bowling short deliveries and um, getting it up the nostrils kind of stuff. But the, the batsmen don't seem to be very used, very good at playing the short ball now. Well, I think, I think the game has changed a bit. I mean, you've obviously been out there. The pitches aren't the fast pitches they would have been uh, the pitches have slowed down and in, and in keeping with the pitches getting slower uh, the West Indies is now producing some good spinners and, and especially in Guyana Trinidad where you've got the Asian population and the Indian population and, and the pitches are slower turners so they haven't got the really fast wickets Jamaica can still go through a little bit and on a day Barbados can but generally uh, you know they don't have the fast wickets therefore probably not producing the fast bowlers in the numbers that they used to there's still one or two coming through uh, but so then the players aren't getting exposed to it. So what you're finding is the players are now becoming better players of spin than we were, but probably not getting the barrage of short stuff that they would have in the days of Haynes and Richie Richardson and all those guys who could, you know, could all pull and hook, you know, with a plum really, didn't they? I'll tell you what. There's one thing for sure. We've all loved having cricket back. Loved the West Indies coming over, and thank you very much indeed for them for doing that because they did. They didn't have to, did they? But they did amidst COVID nineteen. And it was great to see them. And it's been great to have you on the podcast, Toby. Thank you very much for joining me. Pleasure. Good, good to chat with you. Thanks very much. It's that Badger style. Thank you very much indeed to Toby Radford for joining me on the Cricket Badger podcast. Whether you're an England fan or a West Indies fan, hopefully you'll have found that insight interesting into the West Indies. I think personally, plenty of positives for them to take back on the plane with them to the Caribbean. I think if you're a West Indies fan listening to this, you'll be very proud of what they've done over the last few weeks. Played well, they've gone toe-to-toe with an England side in their own back garden, which is never an easy task for any overseas side in England. I think with Jason Holder, Phil Simmons, some of the uh, quality young players in that side, there's a lot to look forward to. 
as we follow the West Indies in test matches over the next few years. Thanks very much tvsportsblog.com for their support of the Cricket Badger podcast. Give them a follow on Twitter at tvsportsblog. Give the Badger a follow as well at cricket underscore badger. And if you could take a little bit of time, it'd be much appreciated if you could like, subscribe, leave a nice comment on the Cricket Badger podcast on whatever platform that you listen to it on. It's been a joy to talk to Toby today. There'll be a second part of the review of the summit where I get my old mucker, Graham Hardcastle, who's been doing the previews with me throughout the West Indies series. He's going to come on and we're going to have a look back, probably more from an England perspective, on the Test series just gone. But thanks again to Toby. Thank you to you for listening. I've been James and I'll see you again next time on the next edition of the Cricket Badger podcast. Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.